This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Coming up on today's show, lots of reaction to the discussion around Christia Freeland, the incident that happened with her on Friday in Grand Prairie. We'll talk about the food crisis in Ukraine. It's not necessarily just Ukraine contributing to this global situation. And where does nuclear fit into this whole discussion about energy and natural gas and the problems Europe is facing? We're going to let this half hour just stand as... Uh, a chance for me to catch up on some of the texts that have come in and on your calls, okay? So we'll get to your calls in just a second. Here's some of the texts, though. Matt says, I do agree with what you just said about how he behaved. It was disgusting and vile. I don't necessarily disagree with why he said what he said, but I strongly disagree with how he said it, okay? Jane says, I'm not a Freeland fan by any stretch, but that kind of abuse is exactly why more women don't run for public office. Uh-huh. We get enough abuse in hotel lobbies and bars and parking lots without running for election. I think you're right. Um, This listener says, respect is earned, not just given. She has done nothing to earn any ounce of respect. Well, I I think you could make an argument about that, okay? You could take a look at her accomplishments, and you may not agree with everything that she says and does, but I think you can respect her accomplishments. But here's another question for you. When I was a kid, I always heard, you don't have to respect the person in the office, but you damn well better respect the office. I think it was more of an American thing. Maybe I saw it more on TV out of the United States, but you showed respect for the president of the United States, whether you voted for him or not. That was the president of the United States. Um, so, I mean, you can respect the office. And I understand a lot of people, that's, that's a bridge too far in, in this part of the world to respect Christian Freeland or Justin Trudeau, regardless of what office they hold. Uh, this listener says, I just want to say it's never acceptable to speak that way to anyone. Imagine this was your sister, your daughter, your cousin. These people calling in um, say, uh, I I get what you're saying, but sound the same as the classic line. I'm not racist, but. And here's, here's a challenge from retired Tom. To give the whole Freeland incident some perspective, please ask your callers if any of them, any of them would permit their children to act the way this idiot acted. I'll bet that not one of them would tolerate their kids acting like that, no matter the circumstances. So put that on, I mean, this, 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 this guy was obviously frustrated. This guy was obviously upset. You've made the point, right? Um, okay. If you've had teenagers, you know, they get frustrated. You know, they get upset. They know they think you're a tyrant, you're a dictator and you're unfair and you're unreasonable and all the things we're throwing at Christian Freeland and Justin Trudeau. So if you told them for whatever reason, they couldn't do this, that, or the other, they got upset about it and they started dropping the tirade had, I think four F bombs called her the B word. Somebody called her the C word. If your kids did that to you in the kitchen, what's your response? I understand you're frustrated. No, I don't think so. It's the behavior. It's not the frustration. You got to deal with the behavior. Okay. I'm going to try and get back to your calls. Now let's work our way through some of these. Uh, who's been waiting, uh, Enrique in Calgary. Hello, sir. You're on the air. Thank you. Thank you. You know, <clears throat> Uh, where should I begin? I don't know, but pick a spot quick. Let's go. Trudeau Trudeau himself has been extremely nasty towards Canadians. Nobody 
tough. I don't remember uh, criticizing him for what he has said and done. You're kidding, right? I Enrique, agree, Enrique. I don't agree. I don't agree with what this man, the way he behaved. I do not agree with that. Okay, at all. Okay, then why are you justifying Absolutely, it? At all. All I'm saying is that when somebody else does it, you guys are all over them. But when the prime minister and some of his um, cabinet do things, nobody says a thing. Really? I guess that, exactly. I guess that $600 million that he gave to the media, that's why he got... See, and then you go say something like that, Enrique, that shows me that you've been spending a lot of time on the internet and you don't really know what you're talking about. No, I have not. No, I have not. Okay, so tell me about the $600 Let's go through this again. We haven't done it in a while. It'll be a good exercise for the audience. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. Well, he gave $600 million to the media. What media? Supposedly. Are you part of the media? I am, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So that includes your company and many others. Wrong. Okay. I have, wrong. No, stop. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Enrique, stop. That I six. Am not stop. Wrong. You I are am wrong. Not wrong. Look it up. No, and, sir. Yes, no, sir. sir. I, I work in not one broadcast outlet in this country received a penny of that six hundred million dollars that you're talking about. We don't qualify. We don't want it. We're not part of it. And that has been well, said then, for then, years then, and years and years, me, but you are calling you, me, me to tell me I'm wrong. Let me ask you then why when the convoy, the truck convoy, everything that you guys came up with was negative. Did not talk about, you know, that it was a peaceful gathering. It was a peaceful gathering, was it? Overthrowing and, the government? Any of these things, you know, any of these things. They wanted to meet with Trudeau. Yeah. But he called them every name under the sun. Okay. And he did not do it. Okay. He has done, he has called names to Canadians like myself and like He yourself. has, you're right. You're but right. you guys haven't criticized him as much as you criticizing this man. Okay. No, I don't agree with what this guy has done. I do not. And I am not condoning that either. All I'm saying is, bring the news uh, of Trudeau and take him, you know, rake him over the coals. We do. Enrique, we do. I mean, when you talk about blackface, that was Mercedes Stevenson of Global that brought up the second blackface story, uncovered it and brought it for. I mean, all these sorts of things, but uh, whatever. We're not going to get into a discussion around the media here. The 600 million, I mean, come on. How many times have we got to talk about that? Mark in Edmonton, you're on here. Hi, Mark. Hey, thanks, Shay. You know, I'm going to take the other angle on this because I grew up that whenever someone's going to be a bully or act like a jerk to others, I've always tried to advocate and help those people out, especially those that may not want to or can stand on their own. And we're playing in a sandbox, and that's society. And if people decide that they don't want to play in the sandbox anymore and they want to start throwing sand around and stuff, and you have the majority of the people, which I still believe is the case, that don't want the people throwing the sand. Okay, maybe we can't throw them out. So we can definitely make their life hell, call them for the idiots that they are, and then maybe even use a little bit of, you know, science, which they like to throw out the window completely. For every op- action, there's an option equal reaction. He wanted to make things public like that, and anybody else that wants to do that, we out them and we light them on fire too. There. Thanks. Have a good day. Okay. Appreciate, it. appreciate the call, Mark. Okay. I mean, everybody, let's just let's try and keep it out of the ditches as best we can. We don't need to be throwing anybody out of the country. You're Don in Calgary. You're on here. Hi, Don. Hi, Jay. Um, you know, I, I go along with, okay, first of all, I don't condone what he said. Yeah. 
But I do go along with what you said about behavior. But I think somebody else said, hey, it's like kids. How, about, how many times have your mom or your dad said, that's bad behavior. I, I won't stand for this. What bothers me is that politicians like the fine mayor of Calgary are pushing this, trying to get political hay on this, try, try, trying to say it's an attack on women. Please, oh, please. Don't try that kind of bunk on me. What do we hang on? Why do you why do you throw that why do you discount that out of hand, Don? Why 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 does that not even enter the conversation for you? What? About uh, about uh, she's saying that it's an attack on women? Yeah. Well, it, hey, it, it's, it's, Christy Freeland is a woman, but it's not an attack on women. He made a statement. There is freedom of speech, say. Is, are, do you not agree? Oh, I, I think he's, he has a right to say what he, whatever he wants to say. We do yeah. have that freedom in this country, but I think the way he said it can be called... I mean, he's, he's not in jail, so we do. it's freedom of expression in this country, whatever. We went through that, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but I don't think that means you can go and say whatever you want to anybody you want. I mean, we should have some common standards of decency, shouldn't we? But yeah, I agree, but that's what's happening. That's what's happening in... in uh, with, with our country and, and the United States, it's the same. It is freedom of speech. Now, some people take it a little too far. Sure. I understand that. As I said, I don't condone this, but it is freedom of speech. And when you start dragging other things into it, the Freedom Convoy and all the other things, then you're just pumping it up to make it a lot bigger than it is. That's all I'm saying. Okay, appreciate the call, Don. Thanks very much. I'm going to get one more in here. Uh, before I have to take a break, uh, Dwayne in Tofield, you're on the air. Hi, Dwayne. Hey. Do you feel like that little kid poking the hornet's nest this morning? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, hey, that's what we're here for. We're not going to agree, and I think a lot of people are making some good points. And, I mean, we can talk about it. You, you know what? I don't agree with what you said, but everybody's so revved up about everything. People, get off of Facebook for yes. two seconds. Oh, thank you. Stop. I don't give a crap about the six hundred million, or you know what? You're not you're not print media. Get that through your head, folks. Please. I know. How many times does that have to be said, Dwayne, before people will actually come, or even just Google it? I mean, look it up, right? It's not like it's secret information. And if you want to talk about things that Trudeau and Freely have said, fine, whatever. Do it. Do it uh, tastefully. If you say you're better than them because you're freedom fighters, then act better than them. Like. Last week, I didn't hear anybody talk about the, and I probably missed it, because you usually hit this, but uh, Trudeau said that politicians should uh, uh, think about going to Taiwan before they go, because the Chinese are going to have consequences for it. Talk about what a weak leader he is. Yeah, I mean, he's not the only, there's other people, I mean, there's people saying you are, speaking of poking the hornet's nest, Wayne, there's other people that said the same thing about it. I mean, I, as you know, I've said that our prime minister and our government has been incredibly weak when it comes to the China situation. You know, you know what, people, if your blood pressure goes from zero to like your veins are going to explode, get off social (laughs) media. I know, I know, I... And if you can't be adult enough to watch the news because uh, CTV is and CBC are getting hits from ABC and NBC and CNN, and they're not getting any hits from Fox, turn the channel, you moron. Like, please. 
I hear Please. you. I, I, but Dwayne, that I got to take a break. But that's part of the the world we live in now. You can pick and choose where you're going to get your information, and they'll only tell you what you want to hear, and only in a way that you want to hear it. And then if somebody else just gives you facts, you're mad at them, and they're lying, and it's it's everything's flipped, turned upside down. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Security, we talked about it earlier. We're talking about um, the situation going on in Ukraine right now. And one of the issues that has been raised as a result of the Russian invasion has been a quote-unquote global food crisis. You've heard a lot about it, right? We've talked about the massive diplomatic effort that took place to get grain shipments, for example, moving again out of the Black Sea. Uh, Grain prices globally have soared. Um, There's been lots of talk about how many people may tip into famine in different parts of the world because of this, especially in countries where food security has always been an issue. But is there more to it than just what's going on? Are we saying chalking up food insecurity to what's happening in Ukraine with ignoring a whole bunch of other issues that may be out there? Joining us to fill us in is Dr. Nancy Chen, who's a professor of managerial economics and decision sciences at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. She's also the founding director of China Econ Lab and Northwestern's China Lab. And we're going to have a conversation about food insecurity. Dr. Chen, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time. Good morning. You know, we've talked a lot about Ukraine and, and the situation there and how it's contributed to this global food crisis. But in the piece you wrote, you find it's more complicated than that, right? There are some other factors at play here. Yeah, it's a lot more complicated than uh, just the war in Ukraine, right? And I'll sort of give the punchline away right away, which is that if the war in Ukraine ended today, we would still have food insecurity in poor countries, and it wouldn't be that much better. And this is for a couple of different reasons. Uh, the first reason is that the food that is being consumed by very poor countries with food insecurity issues that are most at risk, most of it just doesn't come from, it's just not coming from Ukraine. So, you know, Africa consumes mostly maize. Ukraine doesn't really produce maize. When we look at the foods that Ukraine produces and exports, it's corn and wheat. And the amount of corn that the Ukraine uh, produces and exports and the amount of wheat, if they stopped today, it wouldn't be that difficult to make up for it with exports from other large producers like the United States. So... (laughs) Why why is the focus all on what's happening in Ukraine? Like you say, I mean, that's just a small piece of a much larger puzzle. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. Um, And that's a really important question. So I think one reason is that, uh, I think one reason is that as a fact, 
the war is causing disruptions to the global food supply, right? Yeah. I mean, we see that. The war is, uh, in the short run, it was just disrupting the logistical supply chain, getting shipments out, and that's a big deal. And the other thing is that in the long run, it could reduce harvest in Ukraine and maybe Russia also. And that's also very important. I think the lot, so these, these are real problems. These are real problems for the global food market. I think the disconnect is then to connect that with food insecurity in poor countries. And that's the part that, you know, we're sort of assuming is true, but actually isn't true. So how do we address it? I mean, how do we, what's the, what's the resolution here? Is there one? Well, I mean, I think, that, you know, in our very short conversation here, we've just identified several problems. Yeah, some, yeah. Are, some are addressable and some are harder to address. So I think, you know, the issue of disruptions and logistical supply chains, as we see from the recent negotiations, while politically taxing, those are fixable, right? I mean, we did manage to come to an agreement so that we can get the food shipments out. And then things like harvest shortfalls in the Ukraine and Russia, I think there are things that, you know, other countries can do to try to help uh, to give those countries incentives to protect those harvests and supplies. So I think those things are resolvable. And the other thing that we need to keep in mind is that in the world today, there's 850 million tons of green reserves. Mm. These, are, uh, these are strategic reserves held by, uh, held by countries, some of it by governments and some of it by uh, private organizations. And the U.S. and the EU has about a quarter of that. So by releasing strategic reserves or building strategic reserves, the government can do a lot to address these short-run supply chain disruptions. The thing that's harder to address is the stuff is food insecurity in very poor countries, right? Because like I said, that's really not about the war in Ukraine. Even if we ended the war, that's yeah. not going to get better. Those countries are dealing with, you know, serious and long-run difficulties, starting with climate change, which, you know, I think if anyone can fix climate change, well, that would be amazing. Um, starting with climate change and going on to endemic conflict and failing institutions. So, you know, so those issues are much harder to address. I think as a Band-Aid, you know, because we can't fix those fundamental, we don't know how to fix those fundamental issues for the very poor countries right now, a really useful Band-Aid would be if rich countries can build up their reserves some more and encourage their farmers to farm and produce. You know, American farmers, Canadian farmers, Australian yeah. farmers, these are really productive, agriculturally productive countries, right? It's, and they're not producing our capacity. If they produce more and the, uh, and the governments help more reserves, that would give the governments more leverage, you know, to release reserves in case there are shortfalls, both because of the war and because of, you know, long-run climate change issues uh, that the very poor countries face. Yeah, I mean, it's such a complex issue, and I think you're right. We just fall into the trap of saying, oh, well, it's what's going on in Ukraine, when obviously it, it goes far beyond that, and it predates that by so many years, and it's been an issue for so long that um, you're right. It, 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 maybe it's an opportunity to, to look at some other options that are available and have always been available, but now there's a new new emphasis, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think it's just, you know, the war in, the war in Ukraine is causing all sorts of issues, obviously. But for, you know, but for thinking about food insecurity in poor countries, it's just really important for us to remember that these issues were there before the war. They will be there after the war. And, you know, it's just, as you say, this is a good opportunity for us to really zoom in onto those mm, issues and yeah. think, you know, what can we do? What can we do to help? 
Uh, Doctor, thank you so much for your time. Great conversation. Great insight. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That is Dr. Nancy Chen, a professor of managerial economics and decision sciences at Northwestern University, calling us from Newton, Mass., just outside of Boston. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An interesting angle to the story that we talked about last week when it comes to the German chancellor being here and talking about, you know, we'd like to have more natural gas from Canada. That would be a good thing. It's not going to happen. So they're signing a deal for hydrogen, which we don't have either. There's a lot of things that just don't make sense about this. And the one thing that was not even brought up and not even mentioned was nuclear power. And that fits into this in a number of ways, because when you're talking about Germany, they've got a pretty good history with nuclear power. They did anyway. Anyway, we're going to have a conversation now with a guest we've spoken to before on this very issue, Dr. Christopher Kiefer, who is the president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy. Uh, Dr. Kiefer, thanks for joining us once again. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. So, yeah, this let's talk about uh, nuclear power, power generation, and where it fits into this equation, specifically with Germany, because they're not new to this, right? They, they, they've actually had nuclear power before. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 25% of German electricity uh, used to come from nuclear. After the Fukushima accident, um, they made a snap decision to phase out all of their nuclear, and they've been doing that over the last, uh, I guess, about 10 years now. Um, And they still have uh, three large nuclear stations, really the crown jewels of that fleet. The Germans are are respected and renowned around the world for running really the best nuclear program in the world. You think about you know, German engineering, that attention to detail. I mean, they're amazing at this. Um, and, you know, Europe and Germany in particular is facing the biggest energy crunch since the OPEC crisis. And they're stubbornly continuing to shut down these nuclear plants for pure green ideological reasons. And I mean, and this is within a situation in which there are likely to be Germans that will freeze to death this winter. And this all has to do with replacing nuclear or attempting to replace it with with energy sources like wind and solar, which are unreliable and intermittent and require natural gas to hold the system together. And as we all know, Germany hooked their wagon up to Vladimir Putin, um, became critically dependent. And, you know, we're seeing the fallout of of that from the Ukraine crisis right now. You're right. It's kind of interesting because the natural gas is no longer reliable because we know that Russia can toggle it back and forth at will uh, and have. So now, as you say, the, the, the nuclear plants they have in Germany, now they're, they're actually saying they might push back the closure a little bit because out of necessity they have to. We're also seeing them fire up some coal-operated plants once again. Out of necessity, they don't want to. So it seems like the reality of the situation they're facing is sort of starting to override some of the ambition that they talked about. 
Louis, and I think why Germany matters to your listeners and to and to Canadians right now, is you know those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And the ideas about green transition that we talk about a lot here in Canada, based on a wind and solar and maybe batteries uh, transition away from fossil fuels, is precisely what Germany has done. They've gone a long ways down this path. They're over $500 billion in spending into that kind of an energy transition, and it has not worked. The evidence is in. Even on carbon emissions, <clears throat> Germany's carbon emissions have come down only modestly, nowhere near what we see in Canada, particularly in Ontario, um, where we use nuclear energy so effectively to get our emissions down to near zero on our electricity grid. And so there's a real failure to learn here. I mean, Schultz should be the laughing stock of the world right now. And he really needs to be because, again, if we don't learn from this experiment, this failed experiment, and we keep trying to reproduce it around the world, we're going to end up in a similar situation. Now, luckily, we're not dependent on Russia. You know, the geopolitical yeah, yeah. boundaries are slightly different. Um, but this is a, a real key moment. And, you know, the German experience, it's they're the canary in the coal mine. And, you know, there is a pun intended there because, as you mentioned, this nation of preachy energy transition folks are heading as quick as they can back to coal because no one's going to put up with the lights being out and, and freezing sure. to death in the wind. Exactly. Now, where does Canada fit into this? I mean, we've talked about it here. I know our provincial government has talked about some small reactors, things like that. Um, we already have a lot of this technology in place. Where is Canada in terms of pushing this agenda on the global stage, and specifically when you have the German Chancellor here? Well, I mean, this is what's funny, right? Um, you know, there's this hydrogen deal that's been announced. Hydrogen is not a fuel. It is an energy carrier. It is very energy intensive and expensive to make. What's being talked about is installing a gigawatt worth of wind turbines, electrolyzers, which you know are powered by that wind, will, will crack water, turn it into hydrogen. A chemical process will turn that into ammonia, which can be shipped all the way across the Atlantic, reconstituted into hydrogen and burnt in German thermal plants to, to back up their wind and solar. You know, I think just intuitively your listeners can probably understand that this is an incredibly inefficient process, mm -hmm. you know, with many chemical conversions, energy losses and transportation involved. And this is all in the setting where they are gratuitously shutting down three gigawatts of nuclear electricity for no reason. Some of the best run plants in the world. So it's, it's really shocking. And, and you know, what, what role does Canadian nuclear have in this? It's very interesting. You know, we could become a two-bit player in this, you know, really un uneconomical, unviable hydrogen supply chain, right? Or we can pay attention to what we're already doing, which is amazing. So we are the, the third largest exporter of uranium in the world. Uranium is used domestically and internationally to create as close to zero carbon power as you can in nuclear plants. And we offset, as a country, one-third of our total all-sector national emissions with that uranium that we export. We already are a clean energy superpower in that, in that extent, but no one will talk about it. No one will reference that. If you want to talk about energy security, you can store years and years and years of nuclear fuel at a plant because uranium is, is tiny, it's dense, it's stable, it just sits there. Like, this is the answer to the European energy crunch right now, and more and more nations are turning towards that. There's big plans, say, in Poland, for instance, um, to go big on nuclear, Estonia, um, many other countries, and as you mentioned, even Germany. Yeah. Even Germany is considering delaying this ideologically crazy nuclear phase-out. What are the odds, Doc, that when it comes push comes to shove and things start to get cold and they look at it, that these uh, power plants in Germany are, are going to remain online. And, and I mean, just because they they have to, I mean, and, and they completely counter, counteract everything that they've done up to this point, trying to phase it out and, and say, we're just going to keep operating with it. 
Well, certainly in terms of public opinion, the public is solidly behind keeping those nuclear plants online. Unfortunately, you have actually fairly similar political situation to Trudeau. You have a kind of minority coalition government where, in the German case, the, the Green Party is really propping the whole house of cards up. And, you know, this is insane. I mean, Germany is opening up coal plants left, right and yep. center. The yep. Greens are just fine with that. The idea of just keeping these nuclear plants running a few extra months to get them through the winter is so intolerable to these green ideologues that they're willing to let their country people potentially freeze in the winter. It's, it's truly astounding and I think really needs to, uh, needs to be called out. So again, I mean, this whole visit, um, the whole way in which the Germans are being um, entertained and even praised, that needs to come to an end. You know, again, if we fail to learn these lessons, we will repeat them. And we're kind of on track to repeating them right here at home. Um, you know, we have evidence of what works in terms of deep decarbonization. We have that example right here in Canada. Ontario, which had 25% coal on its grid, managed to clean up its grid entirely using nuclear energy. We have other provinces that are blessed with hydroelectricity, you know, Quebec, Manitoba, BC. Um, but in terms of a model of something that works, that decarbonizes while locking in prosperity, because that's the big difference, right? A lot of the environmentalists want us to go back to the Garden of Eden or really to the Stone Age, essentially. We have the opportunity to have something that stimulates our economy with a 96% made in Canada supply chain with, with skilled trades jobs out the wazoo, high skilled and high paying jobs um, stimulating our economy. We can do both. We can have both. Well, we that... can do the right thing on climate, environment and, and a thriving economy. And nuclear really is the, the tool to do that. That's the thing, doctor. I mean, we, we can do both. We can can transition. We can have all these things happen. Uh, and uh, it just seems some things don't get talked about and don't get included in the planning and, and kind of makes you scratch your head as to why. But I always appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your insight. Thanks so much. You're welcome, Shay. A pleasure. That's Dr. Christopher Kiefer, who is uh, president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy. And it's an interesting conversation in terms of, you know, Germany has the plants that are, are up they, and they were supposed to be closed down by the end of this year. And now they're saying, you know what, maybe, maybe we won't close them down. Maybe we'll push that goalpost a little farther down the field. And I think that's, that's what we've talked about before in this issue, right? And I got a text from a listener saying, sorry, sir, but I think you just conflated two different things happening with Germany. This winter's gas problem for Germany is not the same as their long-term shift to zero carbon. Well, yes and no, because, I mean, the, the long-term shift to zero carbon um, is having an effect on this winter in Germany, right? If, if they, they're, they're, now they're going back to coal plants. We know that. That story has been in the news for a long time. Germany's fired up all kinds of coal plants. Now they're talking about the nuclear energy that they wanted to shut down. They're going to bring that back online or at least postpone the closure of it. Why? Because the green zero carbon that you're talking about that they ultimately want to get to isn't there right now and that's that's when it comes push comes to shove is that's where you want to be i get it i understand that and I, fantastic let's get there uh but we aren't there yet and it's going to get cold real soon so that's the discussion that's happening it's not conflating to they're both happening but they both can't happen at the same time thanks for listening today to hear any of our other interviews you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.